Let's you, go. We, you can okay, fine. Let's go. <laughs> All right, we are back. It's another day of Oscar bait on your phones. Yep. Thanks Damn. for putting us in your ears for shockingly many years now. It's weird. It is weird that it's been a couple years. Yeah. We should look when we started. We don't pay attention to anniversaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be interesting. Here. I mean, I'm not going to look that up, but you I'll can. Look, I'll look. Right okay. fucking now. All right. Well, what will... <laughs> Well, Will figures out when our inception date was. I'm here to say welcome to another heaping, sticky pile of Franco gooiness. Yes. We're back and sleazier than the last one somehow. Oh boy, this is big (laughs) sleaze today. Oh, we're April 15th, 2021. It was episode one. April 15th. Wow. Okay. Crazy. Well, I'm going to remember that now. <laughs> <laughs> but lucky for y'all, we decided to not just do news episodes like we did in yesteryear. And now we're back with more Franco. Let's just get into it because we know what you're here for. You want mm-hmm. all, you want all the Jess. You want to hear about for a while, his last one of his last uh, tangos with Eurocine. His last we're starting today <laughs> on a I would say, I don't know how you feel but I think, and we'll get into why, not entirely Jess's fault at all, but I think this is, for me without question, the worst movie we've watched so far. Barbed Wire Dolls? No! Golden Jail is first. Oh, woof. Wow, good note taken. <laughs> yeah, I got right, my stuff. I'll, I'll take the lead on this one then. I'll take the lead on that one for a second here. I think I mixed up some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Yep. All right. Well, this is. So, well, the reason I did is because this isn't exactly. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is one of the things we'll talk about a lot eventually as we keep going through his career is that. Sometimes Jess was called in to finish a movie. And in this case, uh, one of Eurocine's most dependably terrible but very loved directors, Marius Le Sui, I don't know how to say it. It's no. Marius L., um, that guy, said to Jess, I can't finish this one, so I need you to come in and finish. And this movie... Um, this movie makes zero sense. It yeah. has the most annoying voiceover ever. <laughs> In a I mean, movie, we try to like string it together. We've already afforded this film way too much lip service. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really not a, a Jess Franco movie, which is why I was a little confused. But it yeah. is a movie that... A couple he- moments... A couple of moments, and you know, a lot of people believe that he was helping get the film ready for Cannes, uh, for Eurocin at that time. So he was just kind of brought in to do this. And maybe he thought, based off of him coming in to save the day on this, that well, as we get to, maybe he'd take a little, uh, you know, kind of liberties with his budgets when it comes to yeah. Eurocine yeah. and another producer. This is a very fun show today because not only are we going to talk about 
a couple of really great jazz films and a lot of not the best. And there's a reason for that because there's yep. something real serious going on that this film, this a couple, a couple serious things going on. Yeah. They could be related. They That's might fair. based on people's testimonies, they may not be related, but yep. this is a, this is more of a spill the tea Jess episode. <laughs> yes, it's true. And uh, with this movie, um, if you do want to watch it, I would, I would firmly put this in completest only territory, especially since he did so little of it. There's an opium den sequence that's awesome that he clearly did. You can tell it's not Jess because the striptease scenes are boring. Lena is not in it, which is also the greatest sin of a couple movies we'll talk about today. There's no Lena, uh, none of his normal people, really. And uh, in Thrower's book, I forget, I think it was Alain Petit maybe who said it, but this film feels like if you play exquisite corpus with your friends at a wasted drunk party at the end of the night the sketch that you see the next day when you unfold it is kind of like this movie where it's only fun if you were there and you were wasted otherwise not worth anyone's time yeah, there you go <laughs> not worth your time <laughs> no one will come across this there will not be one of you listening that is going to look this movie up so we'll just <laughs> leave it at that boy because i was really shocked that you were going to lean into that idea and opinion when I oh no, it's just because it's important for the story of today. This is why we should maybe go over our bits of our notes beforehand, but we like to surprise each other. <laughs> so yep. we're having so, some fun. We're having we yeah, we love a little little romp, <laughs> rib tickling. So speaking of rib tickling, there's gonna be a lot of rib tickling with this next movie, maybe rib electrocuting, and that is 1975's Barbed Wire Dolls, a red-letter film for all of exploitation cinema. It may not be the movie that started this genre. We already talked about 99 Women, which maybe not responsible fully, but basically the start of like Definitely. nasty, yeah. sleazy women in prison films. Now, come to Barbed Wire Dolls. This is the movie that truly solidifies this nasty genre full of nasty women little nasty women <laughs> and uh does does so in an interesting way because the movie's not great but there's a lot of great stuff in this and very special stuff in the world of jess um and he's working now with someone named erwin c dietrich who's a legendary swiss producer um, who already at this point was a fucking legend because he was amazing, amazing at making money on no budget movies and getting them into festivals and getting them sold and getting his money back. He's a champion of that shit. So, yeah, Jess and this, this it's motherfucker important to highlight that because this guy had his own money and wealth. Yes. And success. And he had and a success. formula that worked. So we're going to play spot the lie with some of Jess Franco's testimonies. <laughs> but yep. this, this guy was already together. He was a great Swiss producer. So what does he not want to do? Pass up on a good opportunity. So he comes to Barbed Wire Dolls, a movie mm -hmm. that really shows his ability to bank and gamble on a project because – we would know that this was a gigantic genre splitting the earth open sort of movie. 
I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I don't think it's, I think he's going to get better at this as he goes along. But we're starting to see him come into real nasty Jess territory. Because we're, you know, I would say most of the, most of the violence and uh, things like this with Jess rarely, rarely veer towards reality. It's definitely this kind of like spook show, carnival attraction display of sadism. And there's a lot of that in this movie, but he's definitely adhering closer to something of a more uncomfortably nasty tone. It's still in a very just way. Yeah, he'll get into true nastiness soon, but yeah, yeah. But this one, so it's about a woman um, who uh, kills her dad after he tries to assault her, gets sent to a prison island camp again, and uh, you know the rest. You don't have to get into that much. If you like women in prison movies and you haven't seen this, you will enjoy it very much. If you don't like women in prison movies, you probably won't love it, but. If you're going through the Franco one, you have a, a decent time here. And most importantly, I would say, outside of one other thing, the always fucking amazing Monica Swin, good friend of Jess. And also, I don't think we've highlighted it. She's one of the reasons we know so much and why Thrower yeah. was able to get so much information because she was still around and she loved Jess and loved Lena and loves to talk about her time with them. So she helped map all this shit out. But she plays the warden in this. And she is having the best fucking time. Oh, yeah. And there's, oh my God. And it, cause it's so silly where she'll be like walking around in only the top half of a warden uniform. And then for some reason, it's just like little undies while she's walking around, like whipping people and talking to governors about serious issues. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, awesome. it's still pretty fun in terms of the sadistic violence on display. Uh, probably the most shocking scene is probably the electrocution scene, which is done simply through images and sound. There is no real, there's no real practical effects on display. This is all noise and acting from Lena, which is and a horrible noise too. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, and also a technique that Jess had not used yet. Where while this shock is happening, you hear the horrible sound of just like weird, like wild electricity, the mixed with Lena's screaming and her truly great acting. But then he does this thing throughout the sequences where the camera fades to black and then comes back and makes you feel like you're passing out with these people. And it's wild because the first time I ever saw that in a movie personally, was, and this is a weird jump, but Lodge Kerrigan's Clean Shaven, where the when he's trying to find his daughter, the dude with schizophrenia, and when he passes out, so does the audience. Yeah, and I was like, shit. Maybe maybe he loves barbed wire dolls. Probably not. But I don't. I can't think of a lot of times I've seen the camera like do that to get the audience to feel that same way, especially repeatedly, because he does it quite a yeah. few times. But it works really he does well. It a few times it re- it reminded me of Olivier Assayas's uh, Cold Water, where oh shit, yes. On- where he constantly yeah. has the people's like it fades out to black. And that's, I think, more to do yeah. with like, looking back on youthful memory as opposed to being electrocuted and passed yeah, out. Electrocuted and pass out. <laughs> but, you know, amongst all those kids jumping over bonfires, listening to like Echo and the Bunny Men, there is, <laughs> you know, there is those beautiful fades to black in that movie. Yep. 
it would be stupid to try to stretch to say that this is like a you know a feminist movie by any stretch it's not at all but as always with as almost always with jess the movie is focused on women and on their relationships and their choices and all this stuff amongst being tortured. <laughs> um, and so it's pretty, there's some really nice moments with the other prisoners as well. Um, there's some great handheld shit. You can tell Jess and Dietrich are already not quite bumping heads, but you can tell Dietrich's like, I make movies that look beautiful. I use tripods. I use cranes. And Jess is like, can I still run around a little please? And he was like, all right, you can you can run around a little, but most of this movie needs to look like one of my movies, which are yeah. all beautiful and well lit. <laughs> for now, you can run around. Yeah, for now. Um, yeah, things may change in a bit and later in this episode. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely him still doing his more delirious kind of Franco-isms in this movie. Yeah, they're still there. The it's other... Fun. The other thing with this movie that is a beginner, th- someone we're going to see a little bit more. I don't think it's enough uh, praise for kind of her amazing screen presence and abilities. And that's uh, Martine Sadil, who yep. is going to show up in a basically everything we're talking about today. And yes. wonderful blonde actress who, I mean... <laughs> Hey, let's just put it this way. If I were directing that movie, I would put Lena and her in those scenes together as well. It's there's an eroticism, especially of her and Lena together, that is extremely unmatched. And I'm going to argue may never be matched. I don't think it gets matched again. I think there's some hot things that come up in Franco, but her and Lena is shit. It really, yeah. It's I, I'd, I'd say not just Franco, but I think it's rarely matched in movies that yeah. between these two. It is, it's a little uncomfortable. I'm kind it's of so amazed. Odd. She never did more. She never really yeah. acted more outside of him. She has such an incredible face. Yeah. Otherwise, it's such. It's really nothing. Yeah. It's. It really is just him. Because then everything else is just tiny little like uncredited roles right yeah nothing and you know that's because she has so much fucking charisma she's amazing maybe we maybe we'll get to very soon why she stops working with him yes possibly yes possibly so anyway so we'll move on from barbed wire dolls to him going right ahead with well Definitely the most controversial movie of this episode, not for if we're going to decide if we like it or not. We'll figure that out soon. But this movie is going to haunt Jess for a couple of years, you know, probably three or four years, because in a nutshell, Jess decided to take some of the money from barbed wire dolls and use that money to make this other film, but uh, not really with Erwin C. Dietrich, mostly taking the money from it and then trying to peddle that money to other producers to get them to take this movie called Women Behind Bars. Yep. Now, like some (laughs) of the movies that didn't get shot, he might have been well-suited to keep this movie behind bars, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Because it is boring, it is too convoluted for a women in prison movie. There is way too much shit 
happening yeah. in the story that is so unnecessary. <laughs> and it prompted Erwin C. Dietrich to, after this mess we'll get into, when he commented on this, you know, theft <laughs> that Jess did with the funds for barbed wire dolls, Erwin C. Dietrich said, well, at least I got the better of the two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this fucking movie. Um, and the, yeah. the person that Jess found to say yes to him while he was selling a movie before it was done, made with someone else's money or didn't know about it, was an Italian woman named Anna Hanser. Um, all of this was only uncovered through, uh, through our being able to go through like Dietrich's letter archives and shit and finding this woman and looking for things from Italy. It's but amazing. She said yes to jumping on. So Jess got more money with the other money. <laughs> um, but yeah, this movie, I mean, uh, in a nutshell, I guess it's, uh, it's about... <laughs> Oh, and we should say that that woman, that producer, she is the person who went on to produce Cannibal Holocaust and uh, uh, Roberta Lindsay's Nightmare City. So she was a big player in that world. Yep. And proves again that Jess is pretty smooth, shockingly, talking these people into these movies before they ever see them. Um. (laughs) Yeah, well, she she went after him. She definitely... uh... (laughs) returns with uh lawyers but go on go ahead this movie and in prison she is constantly tortured uh by everyone basically at all different levels because they all are like in very tame ways in very tame ways except if you read them on paper you're gonna think they're gonna be extreme because literally her vagina is electrocuted in this movie but it is somehow neither perverse uh or extreme or sexy or anything it's or just really, yeah it's nothing it's somehow it's somehow nothing a it, close up of <laughs> a feat unto itself to literally hit none of those boxes with this because yeah, it's, it's kind of it's kind of amazing um yeah but yeah so she gets tortured a bunch everyone tries to figure out if she actually knows about the diamonds there's a lot that goes on none of it's all that interesting um this one, I will say again, the voiceover is brutal. Sounds like a film noir they, kind of thing they tried to use to stitch it together. It doesn't work. Uh, there are some cool masks. Daniel White's music is sick at the beginning only. I do like um, the uh, the Holy oh, Motors so masks. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, the Holy Motors masks are sick. <laughs> I like to think that's what... <laughs> I wish. I wish. I don't think uh, in his older age, Carox is that cool. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm gonna assume Karox was not watching women behind bars, but probably not. But yeah, but, I mean, otherwise, it's fun that uh, Lena does shoot Jess in this movie. That's nice if you're playing along with when are they gonna get together and fuck each other at home. Um, they're having fun doing that. Lena's great, of course, but she doesn't have a goddamn thing to do and zero support. <laughs> so. No, maybe this is because uh, Jess was a little distracted. Yeah, because Jess was in trouble. We also, we didn't mention it before, but in Bardwire Dolls, it is now known historically that, obviously because of reaching out to these producers, but Jess is in some pretty serious financial trouble uh, with unknown people, basically. No one knows for sure, I guess, at that point, all the different things he was in trouble with. So he made that trouble worse by getting in trouble with this Italian producer 
yeah. making one of the bonfires. <laughs> yes, so much so that it apparently either he's just trying to save his reputation of not being a, a you know skin flint, but is maybe also trying to. Well, when he gives an interview about this in what year is this? Like two thousand one or two thousand three, somewhere in there. He gives an interview about the the situation between women behind bars, and basically is still lying about it. It seems because it's pretty funny that we all know what the issue is. It's the misuse of funds. So he goes on to be like. Well, I could never have shot both of those movies at the same time because one, I, let's see what he says exactly. One was made in technoscope and the other was made with a panoramic scope. So if you look at the different like scope sizes, they clearly were not shot at the same time. And it's like, no, we, we know we're asking. It's not if they were shot at the same time. It's how you shot the second one. It's how you shot the second one. And then years later, they find, let's see, there is a letter dated August 13th, 1976, with Franco writing to uh, a guy at Telecolor named Enrico Colombo. Great name. And he urges them to allow Dietrich to be able to ask uh, access the negative of women behind bars because he basically sold his, <laughs> he tried to sell the movie. <laughs> that he stole funds of from this guy back to the guy that he stole the funds from. Yep. King move. That is so sick. And he'll do more of that today. He's really bank. He's like piling up the stress on himself at this time, which yeah. culminates with a very, uh, I guess you could say expected release of that energy. So yeah. he, he finally uh, cracked. Yeah, and does something very strange, which we'll get to. So this is basically an open admission that contradicts basically everything he had said and that he did indeed abscond with that money. Whatever. <laughs> it's okay because the movie, you know, it was at some point bought by Eurocine. And I believe it only released in France. <laughs> never went anywhere else. And I believe then Erwin C. Dietrich stopped the movie from going anywhere else because then a fight broke out amongst who controls what territories. We're not going to bore you with all that stuff today. But just know that Jess is the greatest because he not only bites the hands that feed, he pits them against each other to see if he can distract them while he continues to take their money. Just literally continue. Yeah. Doesn't let up. <laughs> so. So anyway, let's move on to this. Well, the story continues with the making of his next movie. This is called Downtown. Otherwise known as in other countries under alternative titles as the Naked Dolls of the Underworld Downtown. Weird name. <laughs> the Horse from Downtown. My favorite tonight in Pornoville. <laughs> You know, and just amongst uh, a couple others. One also was weirdly called, <laughs> this it was unconfirmed, but apparently in France, they tried to <laughs> sell it under the title The Lower Depths. Yep. The genre Renoir film. Yeah, it's the third one, right? Because it'd be Renoir and then Kurosawa's Kurosawa. and then Jesse. That makes yeah. sense. So that box set from Criterion which should be three films. <laughs> oh, this, I fucking love this movie. Um it's not great, but I love it. Uh, 
And this is the return. Oh, just, sorry. Do you still going? No, 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 no. I'm just saying um, it's a, this is, we're returning to a, the world of almost no budget. <laughs> and returning to a great character that does really well in a world of no budget. Last time we saw him was in uh, Lisa Bronlace. That's right. Al Pereira is back, this time played by Jess Franco, and this time notably Puerto Rican. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so this is a classic Al Pereira story. It's not uh, nearly as dark as the last time we saw him and found out that he, you know, has lots of interesting opinions about women. Um, but yeah. this time he's People. just he you know, he's back to being kind of like, yeah, yeah. This time he's schlubby again, um, and he does not look like some cool jet-setting Bond-style guy, because Jess is playing him. Um, and this dude, as always, he's just, you know, he fucks around, has sex with everyone, goes to bars, gets in trouble, takes gigs. So he gets a gig from a woman, played by Lena Romay, who wants pictures of her husband cheating. Um and that's where we start. Uh, the I Jesus Christ, I just love this movie so much. Even <laughs> the fact that Jess has to put in making fun of his own body because he's very schlubby in this and he's without clothes a couple times. And they, the women ridicule him for how schlubby he is. They make fun of his penis. Someone mentioned at one point that it was him doing like Orson Welles in Touch of Evil when Marlene Dietrich makes fun of Orson Welles' body. Um, I think it's a little different because Orson Welles, I think, wanted to be dead at that point and was really... uh, he was d- deeply trying to die. And... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jess is Jess is very much alive. He's distressed, so he's got to tell some jokes. To doesn't have the same kind of punch as uh, Welles's former lover Marlena Dietrich. Them sharing a meta moment on screen together, but point taken. Yes, yes. yeah. She's not telling um, him to lay off the candy bars. She's saying, "Hey, isn't that the line? <laughs> you need to lay off those candy bars." Instead, in this, Lena says to Jess, you're a fool and you'll remain a fool. Uh, And if you're if you're again playing the game of Jess and Lena, will they, won't they? This is the flirtiest, I think, of all their movies. Um, They're clearly. Well, other than the other than the hardcore cut of exorcism called. I wouldn't call that flirty. (laughs) No. Yeah, you're right. I guess that goes beyond. Yeah. Well, it, no, yeah, we'll, this we'll, is mean. I mean, like this is like playful. Like they're they're. I think they. It seems like they came up with this shit together, and they were just like playing around, making fun of each other, getting as close as they can without like kissing. It's amazing. Here's me as Jess Franco. Hey, how about I do this? You know, there's this scene with you, Lena, and Martine uh, Sadil. What if I? What if I just play the guy who gets in on the threesome with you? I mean, wouldn't that be just weird and random, funny? <laughs> it's a great dress impression. I think yeah. it's accurate. But I would believe me, would have done the same thing. I would have ruined oh, the integrity I, I of my career. Uh, I don't have the prowess for that threesome, but I'd try. <laughs> Maybe I'm counting my chips. Give, give it a more. shot. Yeah, I don't know if I could handle that. That would be too extreme. <laughs> Well, either way. And and him and Lena, I think, are at their meanest here so far because 
Lena still with her husband, Ramon Ardid. But what role does Ramon get in this movie? He plays Jess's stupid fucking shit sidekick. So while Epic. Jess is running around taking pictures, having threesomes, hooking tickling, up with Lena. Tickling her nipple. Yeah. Her husband is just watching as the uh, funny sidekick. So things are getting pretty harsh here. It's nope. it's it's got a it's got a nice pleasant vibe to it. Whereas similarly, when he does this with other movies, they ring is just stupid and pointless. <laughs> yeah, this one worked. It works. It works. So uh, let's 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 go on here to our next movie, which is going to involve basically the exact same cast, and that is Der Sklavenin. Yep, which just Other, means slaves. Otherwise known <laughs> as slave girls. Or what's the other? Black white skin on black thighs. Or no, that's the that's that's not till later. <laughs> this is Swedish nympho slaves. No, but no no no, 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 this is Swedish nympho slaves, but it was also at one point titled under white skin on black thighs. The shooting oh, really? the shooting title was white skin on black thighs. I think he oh, just oh I didn't just, know that. Yeah, that was written on the treatment. He took the movie and then just, yeah. That's awesome. He's like, don't, well, I'll revisit that. Let's call just it. Just make things more confusing. <laughs> Sorry. I really didn't know that. No. I was like, no, you've dead. <laughs> well, this movie is made up of shots from other movies. So let's see. But this is where it gets really twisted to try to keep straight because so many of these are made at the same time and then sit for a minute and then are pulled from for other movies before the previous ones are finished yada 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 so it's it's oh my god truly my head was <laughs> trying to keep it straight i gave up trying to list all the titles of which ones go with each and have segments from each because it's it's impossible yeah this is the most confusing period this is where Apparently, according to Martine Stadil, she probably filmed her scenes during the, the shooting of barbed wire dolls, because there's a scene that looks like that was probably shot on the exact same day. So whether or not he was going to use this footage for women behind bars or whatnot, he definitely squirreled away some footage yes. and made this hodgepodge of a movie that. God, given what he does with hodgepodges sometimes, this one is not that bad. It's kind of fun. It's not great, but it's 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 kind of fun. And it 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 gets into a lot of different plot lines that we've seen before of like sexual exploitation and women being essentially captured and put into sexual slavery, something we've seen over and over at this point. And the Raddick family's back. Raddicks are back. They're back. And, and better better than ever. He speaking of Orson Welles, the dude playing Roddick, I forget his name. Sorry, bud. But uh he he is a Victor Mendez. Yes, that's it. And then Take we have one. one of my favorite, favorite callbacks ever so far that doesn't matter unless you just get off on the Jessiverse. But Lena's character in this, who is um, the one collecting all these women, the slaves, if you will, her name's Princess Arminda, which mm-hmm. was Alice Arno's name in Lustful Amazons. So we've come back, and I, apparently she left her island of only women 
to start being a madam. <laughs> you got to change things up every now and then. <laughs> oh, and again, just a sadistic God. He has gone off the sauce right now, the way he is treating. Well, we'll get to it more and we'll call back to something we talked about earlier, but the way he is treating his still current wife and Ramon Ardid's still current wife, the way that everyone's being treated as this thing develops is pretty nuts. And the fact that Jess is like, I got some jokes. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with Ramon, it's interesting because like Ramon. So we should say, because we'll get to him soon. Let's So Ramon and him started working together in, I think it was Count Dracula. He took pictures of Soledad. Yeah, he was the still photographer. And then he graduated to taking more pictures of Soledad Miranda with uh, She Killed an Ecstasy. He and Jess became really good friends for about three years. <laughs> uh, really, I mean, this was at the height of their friendship for three years where he was his still photographer, eventually graduated to being the assistant cameraman, and eventually would go on to be like his executor. Like he was able to like sign documents and checks and shit like that. Like maybe a little guilt was building up in Jess. I don't know. Something was building up, but <laughs> he meets um, Lena, I think a couple years into that, I think in like 72. She's only 18 at the time. They've just been married and he brings her on set for something in 1972. It was one of the ones that didn't get finished. I forget the name right now. It escapes me. But it was right. one of the unfinished films. Right. And she she plays a, an extra in Erotic Rights of Frankenstein. Yes. Yes. So she's been around. She's been hanging out. We already talked about their fortuitous meeting in the uh, in the elevator lift. And uh, well, we'll come back to that in a second because we're getting well, it won't be too long because <laughs> we're getting very close to finish up on Swedish Nympho slaves. Things are coming to a big breaking point. What's funny about this is that that energy now, whether you want to say it's positive, definitely negative to some other people involved in this, there is a darkish energy building. And I'm not saying it's evil or truly, it's just, this is a humanity at its messiness, or messy is, messy is, whatever. So what that, that energy somehow it does spill over in a way that gets very messy, but it also helps create one of his best films of this period. Easily one of the strongest films yeah. in his career. And, and truly, I will go to the mat here. Uh, revisiting this reminded me that this without a question, I think, is in um, the top 10 adult films that I have ever seen. Yeah, it's this is an, an exceptional example of why people, if they're interested, should give sex movies a serious look. This is special stuff. I absolutely agree. This is the film we're talking about it's from 1975. Der Marquis von Sade, otherwise known as Doriana Gray, um, otherwise known as the porno story of the Marquis de Sade. 
and uh, what else? We had some other really good ones here. Where where did I put them? The uh, dur- oh yeah, I mentioned Duriana Gray, but the shooting title was Dirty Dracula. Yeah, which is is way more apt than Demarquise von Saad or Doriana Gray because this movie doesn't have shit to do with Saad really or Oscar Wilde. <laughs> A little of Dorian Gray in there, kind of. <laughs> yeah, mirrors play a very important role. Sure, maybe the most eye-opening scene in the movie where if everything behind yeah. the scenes what we're talking about i don't know this scene takes on another weight entirely maybe one of those powerful images <laughs> yeah i think that's what like i always loved this movie but i think that's what shot this up so much further because now that we have versed ourselves more in the story as it unfolds wow does this movie hit hard and uh so it's about uh a woman doriana gray who also has a twin sister. The woman that we meet um, is this like aristocrat living with just herself and a dude servant, as Jess always loves. Um, and she cannot orgasm. And her twin sister, who's in an asylum, uh, is basically in an asylum because she can't do anything except orgasm. <laughs> it was violent, violently sexual. Corny. Yes. And of course, Lena plays both and does an amazing job but um yeah so we're kind of doing we're doing a little bit of a couple things here you could bring back up female vampire you could bring back up shining sex um because we're kind of talking again about what happens when you have zero control in either direction of desire and uh how it can destroy you in both directions i guess yeah well (laughs) something strikes me that maybe he was feeling this on the inside as he as he shot this movie yeah it's very much a retread of uh female vampire and i think is is as good as female vampire and better maybe even better it's it's really astounding i mean the imagery in this movie is is um is remarkable and truly i mean the scene that i want to get to is led into by a scene preceding it involving her you know those columns in her house and it's in the outside and it's raining and it's raining down on the columns inside that oh it's just it's absolutely gorgeous like kind of hypnotic stuff which leads us just highlight the framing device because i think it's good that's used a lot well it's pretty often in pornography but not very well usually monica swin plays a journalist who comes to meet doriana um it's really silly but it's like i write about women i want to write about you you're a woman it's kind of it's, it's pretty much as far as it goes whether or not it's a joke about like feminism i don't know um, it's a joke at female vampire where literally bad? someone shows yeah. up and be like so you're a dick sucking vampire <laughs> yeah. tell me about that yeah oh, just the way i want to do it without spoiling things like, i think you're right but the way that there's certain sequences that you brought up that are intercut with sex scenes, the way they go back and forth um, between the animalistic sexuality of her sister and the absent sexuality of Lena is really, uh, really effective and really emotionally engaging. Um, I know people are resistant to that sometimes with sex stuff and I get it, 
But if you want to see what a what a, a real fucking porno can be like, this is the one. One of the ones. Oh, absolutely. And it is, you know, it is dark. So fair warning if you want to start in the adult film world with lighter fare, it's not this one. And let's just deepen the uh, uncomfortableness or the fascinating aspect of this movie, however you choose to do it. I don't know what you, listener, have gone through in your life in terms of betrayal, but uh, hey, let's just say Will and I, we're four-star generals. We're... uh, (laughs) been there we've been back so i do find this kind of interesting but i can understand why someone in maybe the uh, depths of a depression could look at this as extremely sad but i mentioned the scene with the raining on the columns inside the marquise von sods her home this is then followed by a scene where of course she has to have her male manservant like will said zeros played by <laughs> Her husband at the time, Ramon Ardid. Oh boy. Um, the scene has to be very much intended to evoke the real life um, behind the scenes drama going on. I don't know how else to do. I mean, the scene is shot through a mirror, two mirrors reflecting into each other of Lena basically going to her husband, her real life husband, who's playing her assistant. She goes to him confessing that her um, her sexual predilections and fever are reaching a pitch that she can't control anymore. And she's saying like a demon's inside of me and I have to do something about this. And to quell him, she starts blowing him. And then basically gets him to procure a woman for her that is a very uncomfortable but also weirdly ridiculous rape scene now it's weird to be watching lena visibly blowing her husband at the time because you know franco dr sadism himself was probably getting off on that in guys yeah, shot through two mirrors it yeah. shot through two mirrors and also we have according to letters apparently is uh and also according to lena and jess that they would say consummated their sexual bond in 73 and might have a couple of other times done some stuff apparently to the I, I apparently to the knowledge of Jess's wife and Lena's husband, they, yep. the if anyone's listening, I'll go ahead. No, I'm just, you know, it's the seventies. It's swinging sex time. This was in the yeah. air. There was a po- It's, it's like being, um, Polly. Now you have to like respect it in social situations. You can't make fun of it, even though it's just kind of untenable, but <laughs> they are, <laughs> You just basically assumed that they probably thought it was like, oh, it's a director and his muse. They're having this close relationship. It's, you know, it's known that directors have sex with their main actresses sometimes. There's usually relationships that start. It's a very intimate bond between the filmmaker and an actress sometimes. So I guess they were just kind of like, yeah, we'll let it go. Because clearly they did not see coming what was going to come. And just if anyone has listened from the beginning, 
at this point you might be like, wait a minute. I thought you guys talked about Jess mourning his first wife, Nicole, when you talked about Vampiris Lesbos way back when. And so here is the best way to untangle that. Yeah. Jess is a liar, as we know, and uh, timeline is impossible to get from him. Only we can get is from documentation that people like Thrower and shit find. So as far as his first wife, what we basically have is that interview that David Gregory finally got, the last one Franco did, where he opens up about Nicole. And what he talks about in that is that at the time they're making Shelly Van Pierce Lesbos, she, they find out she gets Alzheimer's. And it, and it ramps up really quickly. And so that's what we're talking about when we're saying Jess is mourning the loss of his wife and why he's yelling, saying, you know, that like it made her insane and like all this shit. And Jess in that interview also says uh, that eventually it got to the point where she told him she wanted a divorce because she didn't want him to stick around for this. So they, yes, they're still married at this point. Yes, she's even still writing a script here and there. But if we're to believe Jess... It's with Alzheimer's, things are changing a lot, and they're fastly approaching a true departure. So, yeah. <laughs> Just wanted yeah. to clear that up, because if anyone was confused. Right. Because it is confusing. So, this is kind of where the confusion at least cuts off for a second with the next movie he was going to make. And where we're going with everything we've been mentioning up until this point. This is a movie that never got released, though apparently some of it was shot, and it was called Mandinga. And this was another one of these European, let's rip off a successful American movie that was shockingly successful, and that was Richard Fleischer's Mandingo that was, uh, you know, kind of really heralded on certain exploitation grindhouse markets. It was independently financed. It wasn't. I don't believe Mandingo was made with a studio. Not to my knowledge. Could be I wrong, think, but I think it, it it's it's a kind of a tawdry affair, especially for a you know, what you would consider a great classical director like um Richard Fleischer. Although I don't know if that's entirely true, but it's a great movie. Anyway, so, Mandingo's awesome. So we lead up to Mandingo, which presumably would be the same but with a woman in the title. Yeah. I, I think I can see where I, you know, I can see, <laughs> I can call me crazy, but I can see where this guy might be in a theater catching Mandingo and he's like, hmm, I bet I could rat prattle off a little treatment and uh, take some scenes from that, make them a little sleazier. Because it's sleazy. I imagine he yeah, saw it and he was like, why is there, there's a lot of like thoughtful stuff in this. Let's get rid of all that. I got an idea. <laughs> yeah. I, you, Take your guess at what was going to happen to the character of Mandinga. Um, I, I who knows? I it's very possible that the movie like looked terrible. Might have been too dark. We don't really know the reason. Well, there's one reason, but the movie basically confirmed by letters got sent to the coloring labs, and that's where it might have remained. I, I, no one really knows where the footage of this went. It it exists. It did. It was shot and pressed oh, to film. Oh. Could you I'm let sure me know it was why? melted down for its silver nitrate. But yeah. But why? Do, why does uh? Why does this matter, my friend? Well, I'll tell you, my friend. It's real interesting. 
<laughs> so let's, I just want to get all my dates correct here. So they are trying to put this movie together. They are staying. This is November of 1975. And Franco and his crew and cast are hanging mm-hmm. out in the south of France at the Hotel Le Quetzel, something like that. And they were shooting nearby in Montpellier at the castle Mogel. And I guess, I mean, they were there for a couple months. I'm not, I, I think they were shooting some other stuff during this time. But at this time, a couple months later in early January, one day people discover that Jess and Lena have disappeared from the hotel. And all their shit is still there. All their shit is still there, but they're gone. (laughs) No, not Jess and Nicole and Lena and not Jess and Lena and Ramon. Jess and Lena are gone and they've absconded together, much like probably characters in the movies he was written. Part of me thinks this confluence of fiction and real life uh, mixing together could have been too much. And it just exploded, quite literally, possibly. And he gave a he gave kind of a weird uh, explanation for why they left. Um, the first explanation was that Italian producers were hounding him for money. Uh, what do you think about that, Will? I think that. Probably, but I think more than anything, uh, I think Jess probably fucked around with not just film people while he tried to get money for his movies. I think Jess took money from some fucking gangsters. I think Jess took money from, you know, some fucking brothels. (laughs) I think he took whatever little or huge amount he could get from everywhere and thought because he shot movies all over the world and kept switching studios and names on his movies that he could just get away with it. And I think that that caught up with him, but I also think that has nothing to do with it. I think they, I think him and Lena finally were just like, there's a lot of shit on our plate. Things are getting rough. We can't pay for it. Do you want to just fuck off and go run away together? I think that's what happened. I think all that shit was real, but I don't think that was the, the uh, fire under their collective ass. Well, it, it, was, could have, it could have been the catalyst. It could have been the bed in which they used this excuse to essentially break free of their bourgeois marital shackles and say, all right, I got people hounding on me. We're possibly climbing out the window. We got a little rope and we're just going out the window like bandits. I mean... I think we'll never get the real story exactly what happened. I think it's a lot of things. I think Jess was drying up all the budgets for his movies. God knows what he was doing with that money. But I mean, Dietrich, Edward C. Dietrich said that he probably had a bunch of producers coming after him, which is possible. That could be the reason. But um I think it's possible, like what you said, I think he probably had, was, you know, owed a lot to a lot of different people. And what a great way to be exciting with your your muse at that point side piece to be like, 
we're like gangsters on the run. We need to go away. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It was probably intoxicating to like for both of them to feel that kind of rush. It's hot. And I have to assume that all these things came together in a torrent of passion and energy because what's not so cool about this is he just left his entire cast and crew at this hotel with no explanation to what happened to them. Claims they went to Rome to deal with uh, these producers. I don't think that's true. So not only did he leave uh, like some cast members, the makeup girl, um, Ramon Ardid was left and owned so hard, just like had to sit around and wonder when they were going to come back. So eventually they're found. They show back up again. Now, people like um, Benny Cardoso, who had worked with him since 1968 and the girl from Rio, vowed never to work with him again. A lot of people stopped working with him. Lena, well, Ramon, for sure, stops working with him. But Bud still. Kind of. I mean, not like he didn't try to kill him. He didn't cut him out of his life. It's weird. Poor Ramon. I feel like Ramon's like the ultimate simp. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and also Jess, I mean, again, Jess is a, a really unreliable narrator, but he claims <laughs> that Lena was not so serious. That they had said that they were not so serious, that it was kind of yeah, a, of course, of course, she said that. Yeah. I mean, it is possible, like that they were on some like married her in some sexual frenzy, and they, she was super young, and they both clearly liked to engage in sex with other right. people. Sometimes on camera, they were both displaying their genitals on camera. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, they had a different vibe, pretty cool vibe, but. Didn't, I feel like uh, Ramon though was definitely like of the, even just the way he acts and the way his face looks, he gives me the vibe of the type who's like, dude, this is so sick that I married like the love of my life and we're on the same page. We can swing literally on film. We do all this amazing shit together. It's so cool. We're like you said, we're not these like boring bourgeois motherfuckers. And then he wakes up one morning and he was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, Poor you know you can, only, you can only play with fire for so long, and uh, yeah, dude, Lena's powerful, man. Like Lena's powerful. Yeah, just look at her. Good God! Yeah, what? Who is gonna survive that? Well, I guess and we will um on the Patreon because it'll be fun because it's been saved. We'll run through because Stevens are so obsessive. The contents of the suitcases that Lena and Jess left behind. We'll save that for a. Special right. episode because it's actually awesome. Yeah. Entertaining. Can I tease? Uh, Let me tease people with just a couple of titles, two titles. <laughs> so, what is in the contents of this? We are not going to reveal right now. We want, we need money, and you want to know what these things are. So, we're not going to tell you. <laughs> we have all sixteen of these things found. There's a lot of things like there's treatments. There's the Lorna the Exorcist treatment. But then there's treatments for something called what's a good one? Something called sexyrella. Maybe something called Yakula. Fuck, man. And that's all you're gonna get. In fact, there's one I really want to talk about right now. We'll save it. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I will. Um, you know, I'll explain it to you, <laughs> but I'm going to give myself a chance to use the B button on this episode. The one I really want to talk about is that Dracula, <laughs> where it features <laughs> all of <laughs> his and the button got some real use right there. Sounds like fucking Morse code. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe we're communicating to our most uh programmed listeners. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll get into that. Um, but yeah, so this shit goes down, and lo and behold, one of the greatest choices that Jess did make, however you feel about the movies, was getting in bed with someone we've mentioned, Erwin C. Dietrich. Because Erwin C. Dietrich finds out about this, <laughs> what's going on, finds out about the hotel bill, the set bill, the debtors, everything, and says, you know what? This dude can churn out movies and help me make money like no one I've met up to this point. So I'm going to bail them out completely. And so Erwin Dietrich bails them out. So, which even funnier is that he was doing all this. And not only was he doing that, he was doing his back pocket thing again with another movie that never materialized with uh, he while he was shooting Mandinga, he started a secret project as he tends to do. This might have been the more personal one. And like Mandinga, I would love to have known what this was because it is called The Killer Wore Black Stockings. And not much is known about it except for a, a, one of the actors the, and the production manager, Denis uh, Torre, was, said that there was a scene shot in hotel rooms, obviously, on rooftops, and he had to be a killer hiding under a bed. And he mentioned black gloves. So I guess we're going to have to assume this was him doing his giallo creme thing. And because of, like we mentioned, Erwin uh, C. Dietrich and this lady, Mrs. Hansen, Anna Krognal Hansen of BOS, you know, there's a lot of crap going on behind the scenes in terms of who owns the rights to it, who can sell it, all this stuff. So suffice to say, the movie never comes out and they had to abandon shooting it. Not only at this time, I mean, I mean, they apparently shot some things in Italy. It's possible that maybe they went there to like meet with someone. But whatever the case may be, uh, I think given the drama going on, uh, they were not going to finish this movie. So because of this insane thing that Jess and Lena did, we might have lost out on two of the more tantalizing of the unreleased movies. So. You know, he's back to basically not knowing what to do. He's He has to go essentially make a couple of movies that are some of the cheapest things he's ever done. <laughs> and this is a... I will say that the first time that Jess, because he had to, because since Dietrich literally probably kept him alive, is my guess. I imagine the money stuff had gotten to that point. So he probably kept Jess from getting fucking wiped out. And so at this point, Dietrich's like, look, 
I shoot all my movies that look beautiful with lighting and nice film stock and in focus things on these sets that I built. You are going to shoot this next handful there and you are going to use my cinematographer for real. Yeah. <laughs> so we're truly like Jess. Jess is in trouble. Let's say this is like Jess in timeout. <laughs> yes. It's him in timeout kind of having a fit in that. I think he's doing all the things that, Dietrich wanted of him but come on this guy is not trying these are there are only there's a couple moments truly but yeah other (laughs) otherwise Dietrich could have directed most of these let's just talk about these three movies together in a little round robin sort of way the three movies we quit yeah the three movies we're talking about are girls in the night traffic this time, white skin, black thighs, when they finally used the title for something. And hey, around the world in 80 beds. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm not going to shock any of our listeners by saying I don't give a shit about all three of these movies. <laughs> so I'm going to shock all of our listeners by saying I think there's a little bit to all three of these movies well what is gonna happen is jess working under these constraints from dietrich and being set up with his in-house director of photography a guy named peter baumgartner is going to blossom into something much more interesting but i think jess is kind of having a little hissy fit here and not trying to deliver anything of quality because he clearly hates being in these studios where i mean it looks cheap as fuck there's nothing of beauty here it's that weird thing because dietrich movies always look really cheap because they're often in one location or clearly like in a couple that are in the same warehouse but again the film stock is so nice the the lighting is really good so they have this like weird sheen to them where they look nice technically but they feel very uninspired so they're they're very they're very lazy i mean first one is just about a group of prostitutes sitting around talking about all their experiences which should be amazing there are a couple in the in the sex movie world there are a couple movies like that that actually turned out pretty interesting as they let like actual sex workers like fucking just sit and talk shit uh that's not the case here i do think it's entirely improv but it is it's silly um the only thing i really think the benefit of watching the first one for jess lovers is him being an asshole like you said because to me, it all it comes together in the banana scene where these three women who apparently on their off time from being prostitutes want to just sit with each other spread across a room and like lick bananas while they make eye contact and kind of masturbate. And it's so stupid, but it feels like Jess really saying this is what you wanted. Here you go, you bitch. <laughs> yeah. Which I like. Meanwhile, Which I like, but there's only there's only one scene. There's one scene in this movie that's awesome, and it's the Desaad scene. And it's yes. one of the only times Jeff said, "You know what? I will tackle 120 days of Sodom." One of the clients of one of these women is going to say, "I want you to fuck me in the casket that my mom died in," <laughs> and that scene's cool. Lots of cool smoke shit. It's lit well, but that's pretty much it. Saxophone stuff is fun, whatever. But I'll move on. 
<laughs> yeah, that's nice of you to uh, to do that because we're gonna move on even <laughs> faster from white skin, black thighs. His uh, attempt to basically redo Sinner, the Secret Diary of a Nymphomaniac, just so boring. I think it is so uninspiring. the The main actress um, who is named does not have anything great to do in this movie. Diota Fatu, who plays the okay. who plays the the black prostitute here, who really does not get to do anything of interest for such a there's nothing interesting about it. In fact, it's just so boring. I'm sure he literally had this down on a log line that he wrote out and said, "Let's do this." Yeah. So why don't you, Will wants to say something nice about it. Why don't you find the most, uh, the best thing you can say about it and let us know. There's, it's, it's classic. So this one feels more like classic. Also the three we're talking about, by the way, you can find all three of these in hard and soft core cuts. Um, there are some interesting differences, but just pick whatever you like and it'll be fine. Uh, white skin, black thighs has horrific, the hardcore scenes are awful, deeply unpleasant. Um, the shit John said, I completely agree with. But as with many porn movies from this era, there are some set pieces that are, I think, stunning. Truly stunning. <laughs> really? Dude, the, the fucking... The, so the, pr- the prison fantasy sequence... Um, That's the best. The, otherwise, this movie sucks. There's like a weird embracement of a... Uh, <laughs> Like, yay, being heterosexual ending, which even though Jess is certainly not a friend of the gay man, um, I wouldn't call him an overly straight man either. And so it was a bummer to see an ending that is like loud and proud, like, yay, straight people. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. He's kind of like with straight and gay. He's kind of like the term California sober. (laughs) That's how I would. I think. It's I don't know. It's weird, though, because I think he truly like even if he is not trying to or knows he's able to have sex with women who are either bisexual or, um, you know, like fucking gold star lesbian. I think he's interested in the relationships and I think he finds something worth exploring and thinking about in that realm. But I do not think the same is true with gay men. Well, what do our gay listeners think? Write in. Let us know. Are gay men inhuman? Uh, is what they do an holy abomination? Uh, please let us know. Yep. All, All right. right. I'll be. We'll, we'll keep cracking through the next one. Well, don't worry. I'm uh, wearing a glass here just to get through this fucking. Okay. So the next one is called Around the World in 80 Beds, which is a great tossed off porno title i would say um but this is unfortunately just basically returning again to virgin report territory yep. this is white coder of sorts someone hosting as they take you around the world with sex capades um very uninteresting host too very uninteresting host uh the one there's only a couple interesting things like i, I love that it's called midnight porno television like that they're hosting because that'd just be imagine like you know when your friend got a, a scrambler box for their cable and you went over imagine if midnight porno television popped up you'd have been so stoked okay. so i like that otherwise it's just like virgin report where there are a couple moments you know you might smile 
might kind of be interested, but it doesn't amount to anything. Um, really, all it does is further what I just started talking about, <laughs> that Jess is not a fan of gay men, because one of the sequences that is <laughs> yeah, that's really right. funny, is really <laughs> funny, is this very flamboyant gay man is, t- is like in a masturbation class. But what it culminates in is him being pegged by a woman. Um, Doesn't like it. And being, and being really stoked on it. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's that's interesting, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this movie kind of sucks. I'm I'm glad, though, that we have it in such high quality. Um, because there are some, you know, some shit looks nice. Some of it's pretty. But all in all, absolutely all three of these, I would say, are completest area of Jess. And mm-hmm. if you if you really want to get into it, I doubt I'll even do it on the Patreon. If I do, it'll be like two sentences. But there are some funny plotting things in the softcore versions of many of these hardcore movies we're going to talk about. So I might highlight them, but, you know, watch them both if you want. I don't think John will be doing that. <laughs> oh, no, I won't. I will definitely <laughs> not be doing that because I'm trying Next. to hang on to what is left of my brain after watching so many goddamn Jess Franco movies. Hey, good stuff is what's left. Because next up <laughs> is a movie that I will say, and you'll probably be happy to hear this. When we started this project, I said to John, I was so excited to get here because this was formerly one of my favorites. It no longer <laughs> is. I still have a lot of love for it, but it is no longer one of my favorite films as it gets knocked over by, you know, things like Doriana Gray or whatever it may be. I would agree. This is this is also one of the first ones I ever saw too. Yeah, uh, probably along with Count Dracula. Getting through this journey, I did not remember this. And so to be here now and being and being like, what did he do? <laughs> like, this is the greatest swindle he pulled off in that it's not as ballsy as the other one. Well, it's ballsy. It's, but it's not like him trying to back pocket a bunch of other movies. He's back pocketing the only movie that he's shooting. (laughs) He is telling people I'm going to make Jack the Ripper, but he is making another movie that is so fucking funny and (laughs) honestly made me appreciate the movie more is. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to say it. So what what is this movie? What did he do with the money that he was given? Well, this is a, um, let's just say we'll start with the main character who's doing the ripping. Um, His name's not Jack in this movie. His name's Dennis. And his last name is Orloff. (laughs) And he's a doctor. So you guessed it. More time with the awful Dr. Orloff. We this is by Klaus fucking Kinski. (laughs) This is the the expensively awful Dr. Orloff because this is one of the biggest in his career. This might I think this is his biggest pro I don't think he ever had a budget like this. Um excluding we even get oh sorry, the last before we dive in. (laughs) There's also one other character that returns from a different movie, one of my favorites. Um a little movie we argued about called The Corpse Packs His Bags. The blind dude who sees everything and loves to tell cops about it um, is back from Corpse Packs His Bags. That's <laughs> yes, one of those little cinephilic things that Jess in, you know, ripped off from his his master, his unmeter, 
his uh, his his buddy Fritz Long with uh, M, and he loves to have the blind man that can sense more than others. This this goes back to when I was thinking about when we talked about contact on the show, and we were loving how movies always have someone who is like blind, like they're super powered in every other aspect of their senses. <laughs> like, like that's able to power though. Like because he even says it, he's like, after he meets the inspector who's skeptical that he's able to tell you every detail and could recognize people from a lineup uh who walked by him in a dark alley. He says he was like, No, I could tell you, what does he say? Like, I could tell you from a hundred yards away now forever. Yeah, he tells the one <laughs> well <they're> mad. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, if you've seen Awful Doctor Orloff, and you better have at this point on this journey with us, so we're sending great. you back to go. But this, I mean, he recycles whole uh, plot points from Doctor Orloff, and going in with what you're saying with the superpowered blind man in Doctor Orloff. There's the scene where the inspector's girlfriend goes out to try and catch the killer by posing as uh, like a a woman of the night. And in this scene, she comes in contact with the blind man who's able to be like, you use a very expensive soap, one of the most fragrantly bourgeois soaps, but it smells of mothballs and it makes me think you might be in disguise as a woman of the night. Just like nails it. Awesome. <laughs> she doesn't even like bothered by the fact that he just like completely like the greatest sommelier like of the, you know, the nose variety is able to be like, yeah. That's I a just good way to put it. Surely sounds like that kind of sniveling, annoying ass sommelier who like tells you like the table that the wine was made underneath 300 years ago. And you're like, man, even if I could taste that, who fucking cares? It's like fine wine and fine whiskey. Jack the Ripper is <laughs> full of amazing things like this. It's Jack the Ripper in name only. And I guess yeah, he can get away it. with this because no one ever solved the mist, you know, the mystery of Jack the Ripper. So why couldn't yeah. Jack the Ripper be Dennis Orloff? Also, his name yeah. is Dennis. I love that it's fucking Dennis. And I love too that he gives one cool thing he does. Okay, so one one modification he makes to his own story that he's reworking that is cool is he gives <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> An assistant who helps him with bodies, um, who we're led to believe has probably been lobotomized by him based upon one little shot they give us. But it's awesome because her name's Flora and she's just this sad girl who's seemingly under some sort of mind control um, or at least has her brain has been altered to make sure she just does what she's told and disposes of bodies and just watches Dennis <laughs> cut up. <laughs> yeah. I think the, so, the, why is her name Flora? Why is it Flora and Dennis? I think I have a reason why it might be Flora. I think Ooh, okay. so. I just want the name Flora. This is, this could be a shot in the dark, but I think given what we know about the guy and his love of horror movies and the fact that, he did want to make an invisible man at one point. I am wondering if this is the Gloria Stewart, Gloria Stewart in the invisible man. And it's one of the more interesting vocal lines of the invisible man of this twisted physician is when he, you only see his humanity in the moments in the movie when he goes, Flora and yeah. he's remembering her. Yeah. I just, that's my only guess. I know he loves yeah, these movies. This is her. 
Maybe wow. he loves to bring Dr. Seward in in certain places. I mean, it, it would honestly be weird if there wasn't a reason like that. So I think you're right. It could be. You know, he doesn't he doesn't waste his character naming usually. He wastes a lot of other stuff, but he doesn't waste the character names usually. No, um, he likes to use. Yeah, that's it. No, you're probably right. You're probably I right. I hope. Yeah. Ripper heads of the world hate this movie because yeah, which is cool. anything that upsets uh staunch nerds i'm here for always love upsetting the history nerds oh it's just great and also goddamn guys who cares uh but yeah we'll never know who the fucking guy was some people claim they do i don't care you know there's there's more recent crimes that i'm more curious to get to the bottom of in yeah who fucking cares yeah so who cares but there's like cool very cool shit here. This one of the reasons I like this movie so much is I think it's one of the only times where Jess was forced to work with Dietrich's uh cinematographer, Baumgarten, where it's kind of a, a nice partnership where I think it kind of works. And I think maybe he listened to Jess and vice versa. Um, because this movie's beautiful. There's a there's an amazing like musicless chase scene with Lena and Klaus Kinski. There's some beautiful stuff like just the best lighting. The best lighting. The lighting, lighting I mean, is incredible. It's closer to the sequence. Well, it's closer to like Italian lighting. I mean, that's clearly this bomb Gartner guy being like, dog, quit running around zooming. Let me set up a couple of lights. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I think Jess so, was taking so funny. I yeah. think and it's this movie looks great. It's a little, it's a little bit dull. It's I uneven. guess technically, but it's I think there's enough throughout um that's awesome and my favorite like behind the scenes thing i don't know if you've done this but i actually this morning i listened to the commentary with erwin c dietrich about this movie and man that dude can't entertain a fly it's a doozy um to listen to but my favorite thing because he devotes weird time to stuff my favorite thing is one he was like we had to have josephine chaplin daughter of charlie chaplin because she was technically living in Switzerland so we could make it a Swiss production and get that money. So that's why she's in it. Uh, But my favorite is he's like, I just want to set the record straight with Klaus Kinski. He was like, actually on this movie, he worked overtime for free all the time. And every time I worked with him, I thought he was great. And Herzog, I think made a really smart documentary, my best fiend that would make money and get attention and Klaus agreed with him to do it, so he'd have that, you know, legendary status. Only filmmaker that Klaus worked with multiple times: Jess Franco, <laughs> yeah, Werner Herzog, and Jess Franco. These were the people that Klaus Kinski, along with many other people in the industry, a lot of other filmmakers. Let's not forget that Fritz Long and Orson Welles were quite taken with Jess Franco as a filmmaker. Klaus Kinski considered him to be one of the most professional filmmakers he's ever worked with. And the fact that he went over schedule, you'd think this man, Klaus Kinski, if you know anything about him, I hope you do if you're listening to this stupid podcast, but that guy did not take kindly to doing extra stuff. Yeah. Um, very combative personality who would lose but, it a but lot. But that's what was interesting. Dietrich is saying that's not true. But on this, though. No, but he's saying, like, that's why the commentary is so interesting. He was like, I've talked to so many other people who worked with him, and they think him and Herzog cooked that up (laughs) for fun. I don't know if that's 
entirely true. I bet they played off of it because well it's probably after he like literally fired shots into the locals tent when they were shooting mm-hmm. Fitzcarraldo stuff uh, like that like, you know yeah there's very Maybe real things Nosferatu and Venice antics uh, were definitely not cooked up so yeah. I do see what it you're saying no I yeah. see what you're saying I think like it does get kind of used in certain ways like a cudgel against his like character people but I think like it's a little bit of both, but whatever what was going on here, he clearly liked hanging out with Jess, and you know, yeah. they, you know, actually they got actually the, lied to him about Dracula. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like he got to like actually say lines, which is cool. Um, and yeah, Erwin C. Dietrich seems pretty happy with this. Oh, Lena's back after being gone for a little while. Uh, she's. God. She's in a very different role here. In fact, she's going to show up here and then not appear again. Now, I don't know what was going on. I'm Well, I can guess. I'm assuming she was trying to patch things up with Ramon, or they were trying to figure out what was going on with their marriage. Jess, I think, probably had more. I don't Well, I'm just going to assume maybe this isn't true. Maybe he had more of a certain emotional fidelity to Nicole. Uh, a lot of people assume that he might have been very mad at Lena about how things had gone down, which don't blame Lena, pal. But he, nope. I think, might have tried to go patch up his marriage. And maybe I don't the, know. whatever was going on, he was clearly able. Well, Irwin called him out and was like, you're going to play by my rules. And he succumbed to that and worked with it. But when Lena shows up, she's in it for a very small part. Uh, she shows her ass. That's a great scene. And she's stalked. She's stalked by Jess in probably the scene's most, dare I say, suspenseful moment where she's being stalked amongst uh, what it might have been the actual Sherwood Forest to. Um, <laughs> well, that's a great gag in there. Yeah. I do love when she's like, you're taking me to Sherwood Forest. Which, of course, thrower, since he is English, highlights. He's like, by the way, which is however many hours or miles from London. Not close. Yeah, yeah. It's far. <laughs> um but they uh yeah and so what happens after that in this most shocking scene and this is what i mean where things become a little more shockingly graphically violent uh spoiler if you don't want to know this part but if you look up anything about this movie this is the only thing you're gonna see where suddenly this sober atmosphere this kind of classically stately atmosphere is flipped on its head and suddenly you have Jack the Ripper, a.k.a. Dennis Orloff, hacking to pieces Lena Romay on a butcher block. Yep. And it starts kind of comically. He gets squirted in the eye with some blood, you know, very like Mel Brooks, Dracula Dead and Loving It vibes. And then it just goes into full on gross out. The kind of stuff Will probably enjoys more than I of yeah. I would say D'Amato like uh bloodletting and well, I go even further. This is like this is like I drink your blood level of just like close up swirling the knife around, really tearing the skin kind of sleeves. Yeah, real <laughs> Herschel Gordon Lewis vibes, which Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's gross, and it definitely is a shocking scene. But uh, 
the other fucking weird thing about this movie is apparently according to Erwin C. Dietrich and Peter Baumgartner, potentially Jean-Claude Carrier, yes, the writer of Belle du Jour, Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, Phantom of Liberty, someone we talked about before with Diabolical Dr. D, might have helped write the script, but didn't take credit. (laughs) Who knows? The other real funny thing, since we mentioned D'Amato, I might as well say it. After this, he was going to make a movie called Black Nana. Uh, Black Nana never materialized. But it was apparently related to a project called Black Cobra that he had set up with Harry Allen Towers back in 1970, to which never came to fruition. Doesn't matter. 1976, Harry Allen Towers said, what other sleazy guy can I find? Was this guy Joe D'Amato? Bring him on. Potentially, his, um, what's it called? Evan Nero? It's just called Black Cobra, right? Yeah. yeah. Black Snake. Um, in 1976, Black, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's possible that was a Jess project originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler, this is the one where Jack Palance gets a snake in his ass. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great. Awesome. Uh, I, I mean, if you if you enjoyed Jack Palance and Justine, just wait till D'Amato gets his hands on him. Because he's even drunker and even more pathetic by that point. It's amazing. Yes, he is. Yeah, we'll get to Joe one day. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe we'll give Joe the, the Franco treatment here one day. But That old DeMont. Yeah, he's worth talking about. Um, so anyway, that, I, I would think this is just a uh, an uneven movie that is very interesting. And I wouldn't say is even... For completists, I would say, yeah, it's not perfect, but if you've enjoyed where you're going, you're gonna. This is a fascinating thing to watch, yes. and it's fun to watch Klaus Kinski be restrained. I think, which yeah, is, he, it's, it's 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 interesting to know when he works with Jess, because that's two, right? Like, because that's everyone's thing with Dracula when he's when he's playing Renfield. They're like, why isn't he doing that Kinski shit though? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's true. For some reason, Jess is very much like, you know what? Let's just be quiet. Just let me look at your weird face. (laughs) Yeah, and um, it's possible. I think like maybe they were trying to go for the madness kind of simmering underneath. Because I think that comes through. It is remarkably non-showy for a movie called Jack the Ripper starring Klaus Kinski, but whatever. So I want to be, I want my alias to be Dennis Orlov. (laughs) <laughs> it's possible you will change your name to that after this is all done and we've become very different people from who we started <laughs> our dna is changing as we take this journey yeah it is it, it's definitely changing it's definitely it's changing a lot like how jess displays lena in this movie whereas before he's loving her body everything's about her body it's so beautiful i don't know I don't know if he's having a dark humored romp at the what's going on in their lives. Maybe he's actually mad at her, but to me, this kind of reads like him and Lena ran away and are in that mindset, but got back and realized what they'd done. And we're like, we might ruin both of our careers. We definitely ruined both of our marriages. Um, what should we do? And she was like, What if you destroy the thing that got us here in your next movie? And he's like, Perfect, let's do it. Can you dance real quick first though? Just can we do that? 
I think you're <laughs> the right. cabaret scene before. <laughs> I think you're right. I think that's what's going on here because, for all intents and purposes, they shoot this next movie together, and then she's gone for for a minute. Next five or six movies. So, so let's move on. Spent a lot of time with old Dennis Orloff the Ripper, and next movie is called Ilsa the Wicked Warden. This, a bread of the mad butcher a, more importantly called bread of the mad butcher or wand of the wicked warden but yes it was created under the title um bread of the mad butcher this was it had to change its name to ilsa the wicked warden off jess's own fault for creating a very hit subgenre of the sleazy tortured women in prison films so because of his uh barbed wire dolls a movie called ilsa she wolf of the ss was created infamously nasty movie and obviously you know his producer in this uh in this case mr erwin c dietrich said we need to uh exploit that and change it to ilsa the wicked warden so (laughs) so he kind of screwed himself on not getting able to call it greta the mad butcher which i prefer um because this is not a follow-up of that the actual follow-up to that was something called ilsa harem keeper of the oil sheiks <laughs> have you seen this yeah okay i've never seen that one so um but apparently they even wanted to make ilsa meets bruce lee in the devil's triangle yep fuck well because like bruce exploitation and nazi exploitation were going off and both of them were like it should also be women in prison exploitation <laughs> it's let's mix it up it's a little suicide at the at the soda fountain let's just get it all together it. yeah i mean this is around the time that we saw like shit like legend of the seven golden vampires hammer meet shaw brothers shit so here we have ilsa the wicked warden the nastiest so far of his women in prison films and also especially the, how it begins one of the most gorgeously professional looking i think this movie starts off so beautiful and yeah, this does, movie's gorgeous it's gorgeous it's weird. well the opening but, uh, with the fauna and just those great shots of like the women showering it does remind me a little bit of carrie in that it kind of it just, just switches what you think you're gonna get and you don't get that. And instead you get a one of the ne- like whatever piece is happening with them in that shower at that moment is going to be destroyed quickly. We're not going to highlight a lot of the atrocities on display here because you need to see the movie for yourself. But there's Can some- I just read the synopsis for those who have not heard it because they'll see that if they look it up. It's just sure. so funny. Go ahead. The tagline is. Once committed to her care, you'll be terrified to die. You'll choke with fear, recoil in horror from her unleashed fury. Synopsis is Greta, or Ilsa, a vicious warden runs a mental hospital for young women. A girl deliberately checks into the hospital to find out what has happened to her sister who stayed there. Meanwhile, Greta and one of the guards are forcing the inmates to have sex with male prisoners, filming them and selling the recordings as porno flicks. <laughs> yep. That's what's going on in this movie. Yeah, there's like a shock corridor aspect to it of like the yeah. that goes in to like investigate uh, much to their chagrin. This is uh, also what's her name? We've seen her Diane before. Gorham. 
Diane Thorne, baby. That's, that's right. Well, we have well, we have Diane Thorne for sure, but we also have um uh, uh Tanya Bousselier, who oh, yeah. we saw in How to Seduce a Virgin. She's back, and they're having a lot of fun in this one. It's it's um <laughs> Lena plays kind of the the uh I guess the the sniveling backstabbing a prisoner who is under the basically guidance of Greta, the mad butcher. So she kind of spies on everyone, but Mm -hmm. you know, we'll, we'll let you kind of figure this one out and see it yourself. I quite like it, but it would be a shame to, uh, well, the electroshock bed is back, but it would be a shame to, to spoil some of the nasty highlights of this. There's a little poopy butt eating. Oh, that's awesome. There's uh, (laughs) and I gotta say like, bad shit in this one <laughs> no this is like truly this is a truly a taboo buster this is like real deal exploitation movies um and also i will say especially since it's coming soon our our uh our buds at kino for some reason have recently really decided to ramp up their exploitation game and really saying a couple just rango films we've talked about but also this one they're doing a 4k disc which is going to be nuts i gotta say well, it's clearly whatever was forced upon him by Erwin C. Dietrich is starting to work out for him because the next movie he shoots, he is, mm. God damn, is he coming through with uh, probably ways that he surprised him. And that <laughs> that is one of the best movies we've talked about so far. Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun. Oh. Uh, a movie that much like... Uh, some of these things that sort of tricks you like Jack the Ripper, like you think, oh, I'm getting a Jack the Ripper movie and not a Dr. Orloff movie. Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun goes out of its way to sort of misguide you into not really realizing that this is basically one of his Desaad films and also a retread of the demons. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, this involves uh, a young actress named Suzanne Hemingway coming into the fold and she's going to hang out for a couple of some of my favorites coming up too. Absolutely. She rocks. She is definitely the person that he wanted to have in Justine. And in fact, this movie is kind of just the scene in Justine with Jack Palance. Uh, It's the whole movie. It's the scene that he didn't get to make in Justine. He got to make full on here this yep. is hardly has much to do with a lot of the non-sploitation movies that were coming out because this movie is on another level yeah, it's better it's, it's better. better it's stately it's classically shot it looks gorgeous it's a period drama and then it's just sicko shit i mean and it's fun <laughs> it's horrifying i mean the scene where she has to so basically the young Suzanne Hemingway playing Maria, she is f- running around in the forest at the beginning with her young lover. They're both like 15 or something like that. It's just innocent puppy love. And yeah. the weird uh clergyman, Father Vincent, played by William Berger. Uh yeah. <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. He sees them and he says, All right, what you're doing, Maria, is sinful. So he goes to her poor mother. They're very poor. 
And much like most sex traffickers, they go after poor families who are deeply indebted. And uh, he basically says, well, (laughs) yeah, he just decides to say, hey, she's a sinner. Uh, We need to basically send her to a um, uh, basically to a church, a reformatory, a nunnery so she can save her soul. So not only does he take his daughter, her daughter away, he takes all of the money she has left to take this girl to this uh, convent, which we find out very quickly is not your typical convent because it's a front for Satan worshiping. (laughs) And as you said, though, not like a little bit like we had with Justine or other stuff, not just a little taste of insanity and madness and truly blackness. No, no, no. This has been Jess was like, okay, Mr. Dietrich, if I if I I'll play uh I'll play Jack the Ripper the way you want. I'll make those three like sex movies that'll just make you fast money. Can I finally literalize Satan and an actual satanic orgy? Is that cool? And he was like, Yeah, buddy, cook. <laughs> and no, does he- no, no, it's not getting Satan a la like Polanski, you know, like this. <laughs> this is Satan that looks like he came out of a children's coloring book and he has a pink- <laughs> Which, like- on his forehead. <laughs> and it's like the, that silliness amongst the genuine depravity that happens in this movie. Horrific, also. The best <laughs> tension. Oh, yeah, no, this is, yeah. this should be bummer, Jess, because of how nasty it is and how dark it is. But because of how well it's shot and how many jokes are in it, instead, this is just, again, a little bit like the last one. We're just in exploitation heaven. Like truly a master of exploitation movies. <laughs> and it's funny because it starts like the end of Justine with that great sort of cap at the end where it's like, and then God, she spoke to God and God heard her. And we just assume, <laughs> well, it worked out. The movie yeah. literally starts with that line being like, this woman, Maria wrote letters to God and God answered. <laughs> <laughs> And as she tries to be virtuous at the beginning and tell the truth to this father, she unwittingly lands herself in his clutches in this convent, which starts depravity starts with a scene repeated from the demons with checking the hymen or the where the mother superior named uh, Mother Alma or the imminent priestess. She goes to feel for the hymen and you're like, "Mm, not good. That's (laughs) didn't do that. And then the funniest scene as the depravity ramps up is when she's giving her confession and Father Vincent is on the other side asking for details, being like, now, where did you touch the boy? And she's like, I touched him on his chest. He's like, are you sure? Are you sure you maybe didn't touch him below? And she's like, I guess. And he's like, you better be sure. You better tell me right now. And over the course of it, you realize that he's beating off. Yeah. It's amazing. This is the movie that I honestly don't know. Maybe we'll remember on this journey, but famously at one point, the Catholic Church in Spain said that Jess Franco was the most dangerous filmmaker in history. I don't know when that happened or when they said that or which one of them said that, but I deeply hope it came right before this movie. And Jess was like, all right, if y'all want to, if y'all want to throw some shit my way. I've got something for you because this is it's one of the it's like up there with um ah shit what's the little Roz one with like black candles where you're like truly just in insane levels of blasphemy 
It's amazing. Yeah. What like, are you? Candles, yeah. Black Candles is the the goat fucking one. Bringing to mind so many like black mass sort of horror movies. I can't. It's it's the one like with the like it's not actually bestiality, but that like black goat, the huge one. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sex scene. It's really, it's really, it's a, it's a pretty nasty affair. <laughs> but yeah. it's that kind of thing that's like gleeful blasphemy that comes across as fun if you are not, you know, an uptight Catholic or whatever it may be. This movie's a, a just a perverse blast. This is, uh, I couldn't give a movie more higher praise than uh, for not a horrible way if you've just jumped in. I I, I mean, like, there's more of a thing. You'll also know if you want to keep going. Yeah. Just let you know, like, the the kind of comedy that Jess and company found interesting. Um, And if you're into it, then you'll love it. Because really, there's only, there's exactly one thing wrong with this movie. And the the only thing is that Lena is not here. That is it. Otherwise, this is a ten out of ten in my book, all the way down. If I'm remembering right, that Satan's hands are so hairy. It's like they're fucking Robin hairy. Williams. It's like yeah, Robin yeah, Williams. they're really funny looking. It's definitely like glued on, like <laughs> yeah. like dog hair that they may have like shaved off yeah. of someone's like Weimariner. But yeah, it's pretty funny. No, this is this is good. Uh, highest five out of five recommendation. You know, I'm going to say six out of six. I'll say six out of six out of six right there, baby. Yeah. So one, one movie that we like that you might not like is the last movie we're going to talk about today. Uh, this uh, is, I'll fight, I'll fight him. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying I could see why you would be like, wow, love letters of a Portuguese nun blew my mind. What was his follow-up movie? I mean, that's true. This is probably a good one to save until the tuning fork that we keep talking about goes off. Especially because on paper, it seems like everyone would love this. But Jess had a different idea. Yeah, he's got a different idea here. This is called Blue Rita. And this is basically a remake of The Girl from Rio. And it is, uh, yeah, about a Blue Rita, this woman who has a nightclub which also is basically an extortion torture front like we've been seeing and she also runs basically a whole other world of women who hate men and they kidnap and torture them they they kidnap and torture them they they hose them down in a room with this like stuff that makes them pass out with some of that fucking stupid inflatable furniture that we last saw and she killed in ecstasy oh. My favorite. Happy to see it back. Oh, and it's everywhere <laughs> this time. There's a I thought it was bad with one pillow. Now there's a whole room of inflatable uh furniture. So, I guess meant to convey like alien future or something, but basically these women <laughs> kidnap these men of power and they keep them in a cage and they pour a green slime on them that makes them exceedingly horny. And they torture them by making by teasing them and making them extremely horny <laughs> it's it's heaven for a uh for a sub like me i gotta say uh me and me and jess i see i see what you're putting down here buddy mm-hmm. uh, yeah. kinda, i actually described this movie to someone to get them to watch it a ways back um they heard that and they were like holy shit that sounds like it's just amazing and i was like what is but Okay. And so I said to them, I was like, you know, do you remember the first time you watched a boy and his dog and you read the description and you were like, wow, 
underground city of women who just farm dudes for their semen and that dude and his dog come upon this that sounds sick and i was like you remember how in that one they walk around for like an hour before you get to the place with the women and he was like yeah i was like well this has some pacing stuff kind of like that where Mm. amidst like the pulpiest sexiest plot pitch ever jess is like we're gonna we're gonna sit with this stuff (laughs) yeah yeah that's a good (laughs) way it's great. But it's it, so good. I do, however, see that I don't know what was going on around this time, but there is as much as I like the movie, I do see where he could have gone harder with this. Yes. Again, I, I think this is a this is a, a, a working together thing. Um, where for some reason on love, maybe that was the trade. Maybe with love letters, he was like, Oh, you can go full tilt. Now with Blue Rita, we pull it back just a little. Mm-hmm. You can still have some fun because I would love to see the love letters of a Portuguese nun version of Blue Rita. <laughs> yeah, I'd you like know. to see that version because I can tell that he, because like with a lot of these things, he's doing, if you've noticed a trend, he's taking movies that he's done before and he's kind of very much redoing them. I mean, Jack the Ripper with Dr. Orloff, we have the demon, we have the Portuguese nun with the demons. Um, this girl from Rio is like, um, you know, Doriana Gray with female vampire. Like he's wanting to get back at some of these story plot lines and give them another shot. So yeah, this is a little self-interrogation. I think I agree. We talked about the last episode. I think he's interested in continually revisiting and tearing apart and interrogating his own work. And then also interested because he can keep making money off the same ideas. That helps, but yeah, it's it definitely is really takes the task the idea of the auteur theory because mm-hmm. I think what the auteur theory tries to express, which very much never gets communicated with some of these chuds online, is that the auteur theory is like it, it isn't so much that a director tries to consciously recap things. Sure, they do stuff as jokes sometimes, but I think the idea behind it is there are certain themes and ideas that subside in a f- artist's subconscious much like painters or musicians that unknowingly and they can't control just get brought out with their work and so it's fascinating because certainly someone like fritz long is not like a jess franco where it seems planned but you can watch his movies and you can be like oh there's that erupting again like clearly he can't get this off of his mind like uh like jean renoir said a filmmaker makes three to four movies their whole life and then redoes them and does them over and over again. So that's just not lie about it. <laughs> yeah, he's having fun with it, but I do think it's hard to tell where the obsession begins and ends, and then these kind of like jokes towards his old movies. Cause it does feel like he's having a go at him too, because he's a goofy guy. I think he's so itchy of a human being and so fascinated with just life. Like, you know, it sounds silly, but just living it as much as he possibly can that he's like, why on earth would you treat anything as sacred? Let's just keep tearing apart the world's history of art and my history of art and just see what happens. And then it again, also just works out perfectly that these producers he finds to work with him are also like, Hey, we don't have to pay for it. If we reuse one of your ideas. (laughs) Yeah. And also he never really had scripts. Like he always kind of just had treatments. So 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. Someone just dropped their, their Capri Sun and they're like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, he definitely uh, flew off the cuff. Uh, if you haven't been able to tell 60 some movies in by now, if you're still confused, I don't know what to tell you. But see, this I'm, movie's cool. This is a cool ass movie. It's not love letters, but when you get into Jess, you will really dig this. And like we said, it has issues. It's not perfect, but what it is, is it is much better than most of his spy movies. <laughs> this yes. is definitely part of his spy, you know, whatever caper thing. But it is, uh, it's because he gives over to kind of just pure mood. Like there's no need to try and like complicate the plot because what we told you about the plot, that's about it. This movie yeah. does not go much with the plot. <laughs> no, because well, he got, I feel like he got really lucky in that when he was stuck with Harry on Towers, what he was forced to do from the producer side is all this fucking plotting and dialogue and all these like complicated stories that he couldn't care less about. Yeah. And then now this time, Dietrich is like, hey, I care about plot as little as you, as long as there's enough sex in this. For me to make my money back in two weeks, like I always do, because I'm insane, then you do whatever you want in between. You just work with my boy on the camera. And that's a great spot for Jess to be in before we start to tumble headlong toward the 80s and things get really interesting. <laughs> yeah, and we're heading there. We are going to oh. pick up again in the year 1977 on the next one. And uh yes. We're warning you right now. It's going to be a little bit before Lena shows back up. And we're just as sad as you, especially doing this in order. I got to say, yeah, even when even when I'm loving, absolutely loving the movie, uh, there's a there's an ache because something's missing. And that's Lena. But don't worry. She'll be back and soon she'll have an alter ego even. Yeah, she will. <laughs> She's coming back pretty hard. They're working things out in their own personal lives right now. I don't, I wonder if they're, they were talking, but I mean, I think that Franco probably was like, I gotta, my wife has Alzheimer's. I need to like maybe quit fucking my lead actress and try to, I don't know, because how else would she remain his friend after all that? I guess she has Alzheimer's. She probably forgot what he did. <laughs> there you go. That's a good, that's a good, uh, a crass and classless way for us to accurately end one of our shows just to remind you who we are <laughs> we're not that far from that goofy owl man so just uh that's why we're yeah. the only ones who can handle this right now so um okay well until next time um, what are we coming back on i oh, forget we never do this let's give a little let's give a little oh, uh, yeah. that's smart Okay. So, so here's what you have. Okay. Here's what you got featured next time. Other than those three, we will return back to the women in prison movies. We have <laughs> movies such as Voodoo Passion, Je Brûle de Partout, and then stuff like uh, Symphonia Erotica. Ah. And next one we might burn up. I know, and maybe something called the Sadist of Notre Dame, which could be an interesting discussion. And something like eight more. <laughs> so, yeah, don't worry. It's plenty more. Um, that one, 
I'm excited for everything in this next round, but I'm most excited because when we started this, when you let me know you had not seen Jay Brule de Porto yet, that might be the one I f- got the most excited for you to get to because I can't wait to talk to you about it. So what? tune back in Maybe for my most favorite bummer dress. Oh, you watched talk. it already? I'd love to Don't talk about it. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but you know, it's only so we can get other projects and sometimes we just have to slam these because this is definitely yeah. taking over our lives. But we got some really good shows coming up. <laughs> I hope you uh stick around. I guess we can say right now, we uh, if you're in Chicago and you're a music box patron, October 10th, we are organizing a special little Jess screening there. We're working on it right now. We might be partnering with some friends of ours, do some big stuff. So just want to... Heroes of the Jessverse might be joining us to make this happen. Yeah, we are... Clearly our brains are changing right now. So... (laughs) And as you know already, if you didn't... if We probably didn't say it because we suck at saying stuff, but also we are doing our highs and lows in November with Ramona Slick, where we're showing Practical Magic. Sure, awesome movie. Love it. But... The second movie, Vampiros Lesbos. So that means Jess will be at the music box for at least two months in a row. Hopefully more. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see what the heads of music box have to say about this. (laughs) We'll see if we can turn those heads into Jess heads. Yeah, if you're listening. (laughs) I don't think they are. I think they probably stopped listening to us. Okay, I guess we wouldn't be going to the meeting that we have. And if they were listening, we could have just done a (laughs) podcast, but... (laughs) <laughs> all right <laughs> goodbye <laughs>